0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit, of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I've been reading a book written by a pastor theologian named Fleming Rutledge, and in one of her sermons that she records in the book, she has a phrase, and the phrase stuck with me. Simple, the phrase. Profound, the phrase. The phrase is this. Advent begins in the dark. The arrival of God happens in the most unexpected ways, in the most unexpected places, and in the most unexpected moments, maybe even when we do not believe it's possible. Advent begins in the dark. It's the Christ child named Jesus in a manger coming in the quiet whimpers of a newborn child in the still of a starlit night. It's Joseph, Mary, and the Christ child traveling in the cover of darkness as they seek asylum as refugees in Egypt. After Joseph receives word from an angel to, in the words of Matthew's gospel, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Advent begins in the dark. Because before Advent, before the arrival of God to the world and the Christ child, the world was utterly dark. It's why the prophet Isaiah said what he did. Nevertheless, he says, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, God will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned. On those living in the land of darkness. See, the prophet speaks of a world that sounds much like our own—one covered in the darkness of violence, of fear and anxiety. And all of the people of Judah, and the people that the prophet speaks to and about, all they see is, as Isaiah eight verse twenty-two says, distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction. And and uncertain of where to turn, they look for help, but in all the wrong places. Sounds a little bit like us. They look look for help in, in the false gods. They look for help in the dead. They look for help in their political leaders, Isaiah 8, 19 to 20. Overwhelmed by the darkness that covers them, they look to anyone or anything for light and for hope, just like us. And so Isaiah imaginatively proposes a time when this great light would dawn on the way of the sea, he says, which ran through Galilee. And with this light, the nation would grow and celebrate as if a great harvest had come. With this light, he tells us, the rod of oppression would be lifted and all military gear would be burned as fuel for fires. With this light, he tells us, the land would be filled with hope and peace and joy and new possibilities. While oppression and war would one day no longer exist. This light, the prophet says, would come with the birth of a child who would be the light of the world. Which is why the prophet said, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. See, there, there, in the midst of the darkness, is the Advent announcement. The birth announcement of the Christ child. Announcing that the fortunes of Israel and Judah, as well as the whole earth, will turn on the birth of a child. And this birth announces hope. And breaks the claims of the darkness that blinds us to the consequences of the things that happen that bring about a paralyzing fear, a gut-wrenching anxiety, and these unending wars. However, the claims of this birth announcement will not rest on man-made governments popular to our heart's desire but instead will rest on the government that the Christ child will bring. A different kind of government in the midst of all other governments that summon us to a different way of life and understanding the world. And this will happen because God promised it so. See, Advent begins in the dark because the world was lost in darkness. And even though the one Isaiah said would be a light has dawned, he makes a claim. He makes a claim about a kind of light that, is, that has come, but not yet fully come. He says it has dawned. Because darkness still exists in the land, but a light has dawned. But there's still darkness in the land. And we know it to be true. It's the darkness of stories of mass shootings or wildfires raging. It's the stories of political oppression or various forms of discrimination. It's the stories, it's the darkness of stories of of addiction or a cultural of sexualization, of unexplainable suffering and other tragic situations. It's the darkness of stories like these that lead people to question whether or not God is good, that lead people to question God's goodness or the church's witness, that lead people to question whether or not the light has really dawned. And maybe sometimes we question it too. But the Apostle Paul knew these stories. See, And even though Advent began in the dark and brightly lit the way to God through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Christ child, Paul knew that the darkness would at times cloud our eyes. From the light. So Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. He says this. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, read it with me, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. See, Paul... Paul reminds us uh, that a second advent is to come. And it too will come in the dark. So we must wait. And we must wait as children of light with our eyes open. And with self-control. Now, that's hard. So self-control meaning with our impulses and reactions to the darkness... In check which includes social media see we wait as children of light even though we are wearied by the world that we have actually shaped in our own image we're wearied by our need for judging and complaining by our need for dealing out contempt and pointing the finger at someone else. We're wearied by our dehumanization of others for political reasons we believe to be rational and logical. We we are wearied by the anxiety of economics. We're wearied by the frantic activity of everyday life and its busyness. We're just, we're weary. But as the first advent begins in the dark, in a land of darkness filled with seemingly insurmountable struggle, fear, anxiety, death-dealing world politics, and relentless commitments to violence, the second advent, The second advent begins in the dark, but when Christ returns at the second advent, it's not going to be like the first. He's not going to come in the quiet whimpers of a newborn child in the still of a starlit night. He's going to come instead in a triumphant procession of great glory and power as the King of Kings. And that same light that broke through the darkness in the first advent grew up and one day said to a bunch of followers, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. See, our only hope in the darkness in the land of darkness is that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is our light and our hope of salvation. And even though we know it, it's become all too familiar and we live as though it's not true. And Advent becomes the season to disrupt our familiarity into a place of renewed commitment. The light that broke through the darkness in the first advent is breaking through right now. And the darkness that surrounds us is passing away. See, we must also remember that this season of hope Has no content apart from the honest acknowledgement of the hopelessness and darkness in the world that still surrounds us. Has no content if we're unwilling to see the world as it is. Has no content if we placate our feelings with denial or willful blindness. Has no content. As Fleming Rutledge said in, in that book, Hope is a very meager concept if it is not measured against the godlessness of the forces that assail the creation in the evil present age and the fierce love of God that is coming to purge and to cleanse. See, here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. Hope. Hope is not seeing the world as it is and longing for how we believe it should be. That's not hope. Hope is seeing the world as it is and longing for the world we believe is to come. That's hope. And in a world sin-sick with judging and complaining and pouring and dealing out contempt and pointing the finger and dehumanizing others. At Advent, we, we you and I as children of light bear the good news that the light is dawned and the darkness is passing away. Because Christ has been born of love, lived in love, died because of love, raised by love and reigns in love as the king of kings. That he's coming again. And one day the darkness will be purged and the sin sickness cleansed because he's going to come with a love so fierce that it's going to arouse a glory and a power that's going to ultimately once and for all scatter the darkness. That's the claims of Advent. And so then we, in the meantime, as we wait, we, who as Paul said, belong to the day, not the night, the day, We, the baptized and believing, we, we step into the darkness. We don't run from it. We don't deny it. We step into the darkness, and we do so clothed with the armor of faith and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And then rather than judging, we choose truth spoken in love. Rather than complaining, we choose gratitude. Rather than dealing out contempt and pointing the finger at someone else, we first confess our sins and choose to deal out compassion. See, we, we can be unafraid of the darkness because we know that Advent begins in the dark. The light that is Christ the King has come, and by Him we see more clearly. So, In the land where darkness still dwells, we wait with our eyes open. We wait with our eyes open in anticipation and hope for the second advent. We look with our eyes open for his second advent while we come to the Lord's table each week with the bread and the wine. We look with our eyes open Wide open for a second advent as we wait to hear a word from God in the scriptures. We look with our eyes wide open for a second advent as we gather together to sing hymns and songs of praise and lament. We look with our eyes wide open as we gather together for the second advent, waiting the second advent as we sit in the silence. We look with our eyes wide open for a second advent. While with sober awareness, you and I confess that we are a part of what is wrong with the world, with our complicity to it all, while at the same time, while at the same time, rejoice, despite it all, that we are invited to play a part of what God is doing to make all things right. Because Jesus is our hope. The hope of the world has come. And is coming again